Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful that uh, you have given us the book of nature, and now you have also given us Angela these this uh, last days of Earth's history. And I pray that you will continue to put your hand upon her as she instructs this week and be with all of those who attend that uh, we have a closer walk with Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's welcome Angela Boothley. All right? Very good. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, so a couple more things. I grew up on a small town called Goebbels, Michigan. It's a little farming town. I grew up on a farm. Um, kind of the ideal childhood in the fact that I grew up on a farm here and my uncle and aunt were on a farm here and my grandparents were on a farm here. And my grandparents have 300 acres. We have like almost 100 and my uncle uh, rents. So it was pretty awesome childhood growing up. And so I think that's where the love of nature definitely started. Uh, I went to Adventist education all the way from grades, well, I was homeschooled kindergarten and first grade. Um, my mom is the elementary school teacher at Goebbels Junior Academy. And then I went to Goebbels from second grade to 10th grade. And then I came here to GLA for 11th and 12th grade. I went to Andrews University my freshman year. I went to Newbold College in England my second year. Uh, my mom is from Australia and she had gone to Newbold and my granddad had gone to Newbold, so I wanted to go to Newbold. And then I went down to Southwestern Adventist University down in Texas. And that is where I graduated with a BS in elementary education and a double minor in religion and psychology. And then I've been teaching in Holland for three years. And during the summers, I worked on my master's. And I have an incredible master's um, in outdoor education. And I was really shocked by the response I would get from people when they would be, oh, you're, you're getting a master's. What are you getting a master's in? And I'd say, outdoor education. They're like, oh. <laughs> Like, I mean, it was like awkward. They were not impressed at all with the fact that I had a master's in outdoor education. That meant nothing to anybody. And they'd be like, oh, that's nice, honey. And I was like, has no one read the book Adventist Education? Because we should all be getting master's degrees in outdoor education. And I love my master's program. And so I was like, you know what, Lord? People need to know about this degree. And so for three summers, um, I went down to Southern Adventist University, Southern Adventist is the one that offers two master's degree, outdoor leadership and outdoor education. And because I'm a school teacher, I did the outdoor education one. And it honestly completely changed my worldview. And it changed the way I've had a deeper commitment with the Lord, and it changed the way I taught in my classroom. Every year, I, I feel like I became a better teacher because of my master's degree. And so honestly, what this is, is this is a newbie teacher <laughs> with a passion for outdoor education and with a passion for connecting our children deeper with their creator and um but a newbie so i pray that the lord blesses you guys and um i am in no means an expert but i am learning just like you so let's start with prayer and we will begin dear lord i praise you so much for the incredible ways that you work uh, through us and i thank you so much um for Adventist education. I thank you for um, the way it has guided me to this point and it continues to guide me. And I thank you for everyone that is interested in learning about you through nature. And I ask that you open up our hearts and our minds to what you want us to learn today. In your name, amen. So linking children with nature. This is a vital connection. I will start with a quote from the book Education, page 20. The system of education instituted at the beginning of the world was to be a model for man throughout all after time. As an illustration of its principles, 
A model school was established in Eden, the home of our first parents. The Garden of Eden was the schoolroom. Nature was the lesson book. The Creator Himself was the instructor. And the parents of the human family were the students. Now, I had to read the book, Education, in college, and I don't know how I missed these pages or how I missed all these different excerpts about the fact that we were supposed to be engaging our children and nature and not just leaving them in the regular classroom with four walls behind a desk. And I don't know how I missed it. I'm not blaming my teachers. I am not blaming the Adventist education system. I love it dearly. Um, but somehow I think in general, we are missing the boat. Um, our students need to be outdoors. Our students need to be in the Garden of Eden. Yes, it's marred by sin, but that's also what we need to be teaching them is the fact that we live in a fallen world and that we are created and we have something bigger to live for. And um, so I don't know how I missed it. And I pray that um, as a group, we will start a movement that will get Adventist education back on track. So let me start really quick so I can understand my audience. How many um, teachers do I have in the room? Awesome. Okay. How many parents do I have in the room? And how many homeschoolers do I have? Okay. How many outdoor enthusiasts do I have? Everybody should raise their hand. <laughs> or want to be outdoor enthusiasts, right? <laughs> um, how about Sabbath school teachers? Is that anyone else? Awesome. And then did I miss anything? Adventures. Great. Adventures. Awesome. Pathfinders. Anybody need Pathfinders too? <laughs> All right. Great. So a lot of my information, um, I don't know. Have any of you guys heard of Richard Louvre? Awesome. Okay. This will change your life. <laughs> you guys ready for homework? All right. Uh, for my master's program, we had to do research naturally, right? And the two books that we did quite a bit of study is in is written by Richard Louvre and Last Child in the Woods and The Nature Principle, okay? Last Child in the Woods and The Nature Principle. If you're intimidated by big reads, because I know this looks quite thick, um, and some of it is a little bit tough, but honestly, it's really an easier read. It's not that hard. And you can, um, a friend of mine does it with book on tape, and while he drives, he listens to it. So these days, you can download audio just as easily as you can buy a book. But I found these on Amazon. I'm so sad. Satan's really been attacking me. But I had my books all highlighted from my master's program, and I couldn't find them anywhere. <laughs> I was, like, devastated. I was like, Lord, how do I, like, re-remember everything? Because I had read these, like, three years ago. Um, so I just bought them off Amazon, so I now know the price. <laughs> you can get this one for 50 cents, and then it's $3 for shipping and handling. So seriously, 4 or $5. This one was a little bit more. I think this one was 7 so $3 and then $4 for shipping and handling. So really cheap. But if you don't want to get both, this is a must-have. Last Child in the Woods is the must-read if you're trying to decide which one, because I know that your busy moms, busy, busy people, were all very sadly very busy. Last Child in the Woods is the one you don't want to not read. This one is well worth your time. Last Child in the Woods. Richard Louvre. L-O-U-V. So I'll just pass it around. And then you guys can see it and switch it around. So he termed a coin called the Nature Deficit Disorder. This describes the human cost of alienating us ourselves from nature. Um, and then the 
uh, effects of this disease would be diminished use of the senses, attention difficulties, higher rate of physical and emotional illness. This disorder can be detected in individuals, families, and communities. So by weighing the consequences of this disorder, we also can become more aware of how blessed our children can be biologically, cognitively, and spiritually through positive physical connection to nature. So he termed a coin called vitamin N. We believe in giving our kids vitamin C. We believe in vitamin D or vitamin E, maybe vitamin B12. But what about vitamin N, nature? So this is the disconnect. This is a study in that book uh, released in 2005 and 2006. Nearly one-third of children from six months to six years of age live in households where the TV was on all or most of the time. That's really sad. Children between the ages of 8 to 18 years old spend an average of nearly 6.5 hours a day plugged in electronically. That doesn't just mean a TV. That doesn't just mean a computer. That means, you know, moms or iPods when our, when our kiddos are a little bit pestering us and we pass our, our phones over so they can play games. Um, anything electronically, 6.5 hours a day, that's 45 hours a week. That's more than one considered an adult work week, that our children are electronically plugged in. I don't know if you guys heard the, coin, the term screen time. That might be a way to say this better than electronically plugged in, screen time, which means they're in front of any kind of screen, a TV, an iPad, an Android, an iPhone, just some way plugged in. So this is, the, this is the problem. We're living in a virtual age, and this is the disconnect from nature. So five reasons why we need to make a strong connection with our children in nature. This is in no way an exhaustive study. There's so much in that book, I feel like I'm scratching the surface. But I'm hoping it will inspire you. That is the point of this first day. And then after this, with that inspiration, I think we then need practical ideas. Because I'm so excited about it. Now what do I do? So the rest, of these time, the rest of the days will be spent, what can we do? But today is just a brief, let's be inspired about what is right here at our fingertips. So five reasons. Academically, physical health, emotional well-being, creativity, and um, spiritually. Um, the paper that's going around, you can write your name and your email address, and I'm more than willing to email you this PowerPoint. Um, this is a PowerPoint that I had to make for my master's program, and it's also something that I've added to over time. Um, it pretty much all came from those two books and other research things, um, but I'm fine if you guys even want to present this with other people. <laughs> all right, and the pictures are my students, so they're pretty cute. <laughs> and things that we have done with, together. Uh, you will see your son in here. <laughs> and it's my favorite picture. I hope you like it. All right, so the first need that we're going to talk about is academically. Uh, ADHD, I'm sure it's something that you guys have heard of quite commonly. Nearly 8 million children in the U.S. suffer from mental disorders. And ADHD is one of the most prevalent ones. It develops before the age of 7. Um, I just recently heard, and if someone knows exactly, then correct me, but I think I heard it was illegal in France to have your child watch TV before the age of three or two, two or three. That is illegal. Isn't that incredible? Honestly, honestly, America is behind the boat. Europe is already on this. They have these things called kindergarten forest schools. Sweden and Norway are really on top of it. Um, America is starting to catch up. Oregon, 
has a nice kindergarten forest school, but America is, now, is behind the times. So ADHD develops before age seven, yes? Well, when I was teaching in Holland, I went to a, a seminar at Fort um, College, mm -hmm. and a brain specialist said that children under two should never watch TV. Yeah. Any, any other time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, under the age, she said, to repeat that, she said under the age of two, um, she went to Hope College, and they said that they should not be watching any kind of TV, no screen time, so no iPod, no iPad, no TV, no computer, under the age of two should not be in front of screens. It's usually diagnosed between the ages of eight to 10, um, and sadly, it's very much over-diagnosed in our world. Some of the uninformed public tends to believe that poor parenting and other social factors produce the immature behavior associated with ADHD. But ADHD is now considered by many researchers to be an organic disorder associated with differences in the brain morphology of children, and I will go into that more. Each hour of TV watched per day by preschoolers increases by 10% the likelihood that they will develop concentration problems and other symptoms of attention deficit orders by age seven. Increases by 10%. As recently as the 1950s, most families still had some kind of agricultural connection. Medications and the causes of ADHD are still very much in dispute, but as of now, TV is the culprit, is what they're blaming most of ADHD on. Uh, televisions are only a part of the larger environmental culture change now in our lifetime, namely the rapid move from a rural culture. I'm sure many of you grew up in some kind of rural background or at least in touch with nature. Maybe it was simply the baseball sandlot down in town. There was some connection. Now we're in a completely highly urbanized culture. Um, and in agriculture society, many children would have been directing their energy in physical movement in constructive ways, doing farming chores, baling hay, I grew up baling hay, splashing in the swimming hole, climbing trees, yep, got stuck in those, racing to a sandlot for a game of baseball. Children's unregimented play would have been steeped in nature. So this shift just happened in the 1950s that we've gone from an extremely rural environment to a highly urbanized culture. Um, so a study by Stephen and Rachel uh, Kaplan, environmental psychologist at the University of Michigan, found there was a nine-year study with the U.S. Forest Service, and what they did is, uh, have any of you heard of Outward Bound? Okay, Outward Bound was started by Kurt Hahn in about the 1930s. See, what happened was he was born a Jew, and he escaped, um, but the, the Germans were attacking the British, and they found that many of their young soldiers were dying in the water because they had lack of basic survival skills. Simple, simply that. They're, the German U-boats were sinking the British Navy boats, and they just simply couldn't swim, or they didn't have basic survival. So they asked Kurt Hahn to come up with a program to help their British soldiers to be able to survive. Um, mortality rates went up, and they learned basic how to swim and how to survive if their boat got shot down or sunk. And in the years when the war was finished, Outward Bound then started in uh, Great Britain as a way of for young adults for character development, which is, I think, awesome because that is the point of education, isn't it? Isn't the whole point that we're here is for character development? We want our characters to be more like Christ. So here is not even a 
Christian or let's say Seventh-day Adventist goal, and it was character development. And that is the whole point of outdoor education. Honestly, is character development. It's an all-inclusive way of teaching. It's not just connecting the kids with nature, but it's character development. And you'll see, hopefully, over the week how we incorporate all of those things. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I don't know where I can stand. I'm, I can. I can't. No, I'm sorry. If can you move to another chair? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know I'm. I know I'm very much in the way. I need a, a clicker. They didn't give me a clicker. That would be really helpful. Except my notes are here too. <laughs> okay, so maybe I don't need a clicker. <laughs> um, where do you? Is this? I am emailing the slides, and I know it's a lot of information, but I wanted you guys to be blown away and really excited. <laughs> so that's why. Um, and it's not so much that I want you guys to have a takeaway of the fact that you can say the facts, because I can't even say the facts without my wonderful PowerPoint here. It's that I want you just to be like, I got something, I learned something so awesome, and I want to share with you. So that's why these facts are kind of also to hopefully drop your mouth to the floor and be like, we need to do something. Because I think we, as a church, need to do something um, and, and get our kids back connected with nature. So um, this nine-year study is what they did to, it was kind of modeled after the Outward Bound program, and they took uh, people backpacking for two weeks. And they, they studied and they realized that there was two kinds of attention. There's directed attention, and there's fascination, so involuntary attention. Um, and after, I'll get into that in a minute, but after this nine-year study, the subjects reported experiencing a sense of peace and an ability to think more clearly in the restorative environment. They found um, that just being in nature was more restorative than physically challenging activities such as rock climbing or mountain biking, but just being in nature was more restorative. So directed attention fatigue, it means too much directed attention. And what absolutely forces direct attention? TV. I mean, I find myself, when you're watching TV, can you move your eyeballs very easily? No, it's like you're zoned in. And same thing, have you seen kiddos play on their, on their um, iPhones or on their iPads? Their eyes are just, they're completely zoned in. You could, you could have bombs exploding around them, and they probably wouldn't even notice because they're very directed in. Um, this directed attention is marked by impulsive behavior, agitation, irritation, and inability to concentrate. Have you seen when you take those iPhones away, what is that kid's reaction? Instant impulsive behavior. Raw. Whoa, child. You know, it's very new. Where'd this come from? Even that taking it away, I've noticed even when they stop playing it, or I've noticed when they stop watching the show, they're crazy. Yeah. Like, we're done. Just the after effects. Mm-hmm. Directed attention fatigue occurs because neural inhibitory mechanisms become fatigued by blocking competing stimuli. The fascination factor associated with nature is restorative. That's what's so amazing is Satan can destroy so many things, but God always has a plan of restoration. So, you know, don't sit here, be discouraged about maybe what your kids have done or what your grandkids have done or what you see your students in your school or in your church doing. Because there's restoration available. And there is so much hope. Just You'll get excited as the presentation goes on. The, the power that there is that God has put in nature. Um, because he's in nature. Because it's his creation. And it helps relieve 
Being in Asia helps relieve people from this directed attention fatigue. Um, if you find an environment where the attention is automatic, you allow directed attention to rest. And that means an environment that's strong on fascination. Well, I was just walking. I have two little girls staying with me from when I used to teach in Holland. And we were walking from the cafeteria over here. And all of a sudden, we saw something in the tree. What, is, what, what, what were we doing? We were fascinated. And they're like, Miss Boothie, Miss Boothie, look. And there was this little leaf. And I don't know if it was attached to a spider web or what, but it was literally twirling like a helicopter. And it would go up and down and around. And if I wasn't in such a hurry to come over here and get ready, then I, we could have probably watched that for at least five to 10 minutes. And the girls would have been asking questions. And they were already asking questions. Miss Boothie, why is it doing that? And so you're getting so many things going, you're getting so many stimuli in that brain going back and forth because they're starting to ask questions, and those questions lead to other questions. Um, so there was a survey of more than uh, 1,200 corporate and state office workers. Those with a window uh, view of trees, bushes, or large lawns experience significantly less frustration and more work enthusiasm than those without such views. A person does not have to live in the wilderness to reap nature's psychological benefits. It in benefits that include the ability to work better and think more clearly. Simply looking at what God has created for us can be beneficial. Uh, Terry Hartig did a study. Spending time in nature can help people recover from normal psychological wear and tear, but nature also improves the capacity to pay attention. Participants were asked to complete a 40-minute sequence of tasks designed to exhaust their directed attention capacity. They were then randomly assigned to spend 40 minutes. Either they could choose walking in a local nature preserve, walking in an urban area, sitting quietly while reading magazines, or listening to music. Which one do you think created the most benefits? Oh, you guys are so smart. <laughs> A plus. <laughs> the result, those who had walked in the nature preserve performed better than the other participants on a standard, simple proofreading task. They also reported more positive emotions and less anger. So you feel like your brain's slowing down a little bit? Go for a walk in nature. That sounds pretty simple, right? We can all do that. There is a daycare children's study in Sweden. They had a quiet play area surrounded by tall buildings with low plants and a brick path. Then they had a green daycare uh, in an orchard surrounded by pasture and woods and was adjacent to an overgrown garden with tr tall trees and rocks. You know what the study reveals? Children in a green daycare who played outside every day regardless of weather had better motor coordination and more ability to concentrate. Uh, simply being close to nature helps boost a child's attention span because they learn to sit quietly. They learn to stare at an ant moving around. They learn to play with a boat in the water, simply coming up with a whole story in their little heads, using that imagination. And does TV allow any imagination? Can you read anything into it? Can you add anything to the story? No, if anything, what you do is you take that TV story back and you make it your life, right? How many of us watch something and then find ourselves creating castles in our heads because of something that we watched on a television? So surveys of families uh, with ADD children ages 7 to 12, uh, this was in the journal called Environmental and Behavior, found that compared to the after effects of play and paved outdoor indoor areas, activities in natural green settings were far more likely to leave ADD children better able to focus, 
Concentrate. Activities that left ADD children in worse shape were far more likely to occur indoors or outdoors in spaces devoid of greenery. Um, so green activities would be things like camping or fishing. Not green would be watching television, playing video games, even doing homework. <laughs> Doesn't always have to be um, negative. It's just important that we realize that anything that's not putting them outside can put too much directed attention. All right, if it's true that nature therapy reduces the symptoms of ADHD, then the converse may also be true. ADHD may be a set of symptoms aggravated by lack of exposure to nature. All right. Um, have you heard of the multiple intelligences? There's eight multiple intelligences. I don't want to go into them too much, but basically uh, you can be considered word smart, number reasoning smart, picture smart, body smart, music smart, people smart, self smart. You may have a little bit of all of them. You are usually stronger in one or two of them. Um, but there is an eighth intelligence, <laughs> and it's called the naturalist intelligence, or nature smart. So as we go through this, think of if you know any kids that tend to lean this way, um, have keen sensory skills, including sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. Readily use heightened sensory skills to notice and categorize things from the natural world. Like to be outside or like outside activities like gardening, nature walks, field trips, geared toward observing nature and natural phenomenon. Easily notice patterns from their surroundings, their likes, their differences, their similarities, their anomalies. Are interested in care about animals or plants. Notice things in the environment that others often miss. Create, keep, or have collections, scrapbooks, logs, or journals about natural objects. These may include written observations, drawings, pictures, and photographs or specimens. Are very interested from an early age in television shows, video books, or objects from or about nature. <laughs> Science or animals. How many of you have children that love Blue Planet? Or watching nature videos? Uh, especially even if they move slowly. Children are still very fascinated with those um, nature television shows. Show heightened awareness of and concern for the environment and or for endangered species. Easily learn characteristics, names, categorizations, and data about objects found in the natural world. So how many think almost every child has this intelligence? Or you have this intelligence, right? All right, so that's just a little short glimpse about the benefits of academically how spending time in nature can help us. Now we're going to go into physical health. Uh, the Center for Disease Control reports that the number of overweight adult Americans increased over 60% between 1991 and 2000. According to CDC data, the U.S. population of overweight children between ages 2 to 5 increased by almost 36% from 1989, oh, that's when I was born, to 1999. <laughs> At that time, two out of 10 American children were clinically obese, four times the percentage of childhood obesity reported in the late 1960s. Do you think those numbers are going up or going down? They're going up further. Approximately 60% of obese children ages 5 to 10 have at least one cardiovascular disease factor. That is so sad. The World Health Organization warns that the sedentary lifestyle, what creates sitting? 
screen time. It doesn't have to just be TV, iPod, iPad, any of this creates sedentary lifestyle. It's a global public health problem. Have you heard the new saying, sitting is the new smoking? That they're saying sitting is almost more detrimental to your body than smoking? Um, inactivity is seen as a major risk factor in non-communicable diseases, which causes 60% of global deaths and 47% of the burden of disease. Pediatricians now warn that today's children may be the first generation of Americans since World War II to die at an earlier age than their parents. But wait, don't we have all the newest medicines, all the newest medications, all the newest technology? Why is it that today's children may be dying before we die? The CDC found that the amount of TV that children watch directly correlates with measures of their body fat. In the United States, children ages 6 to 11 spend about 30 hours a week looking at a TV or computer monitor. So, do sports save the day? The obesity epidemic coincides with the greatest increase in organized children's sports in history. The physical exercise and emotional stretching that children enjoy in unorganized play is more varied and less time-bound than found in organized sports. So do sports save the day? No, playtime, especially unstructured, imaginative, exploratory play is increasingly recognized as an essential component of wholesome child development. Isn't that awesome? We have a good reason to let our children just play, just be children and play. A study of preschool children in Norway and Sweden um, playing just on a typically flat, regular playground compared to playing among trees, rocks, and uneven grounds of natural play areas. Over a year's time, the children who play in the natural area tested for better for motor fitness and especially in the area of balance and agility, which makes natural sense, right? Because they're not having the ladders right there in the railings. We have to have our railings on our playgrounds now, right? They're over on a log balancing themselves, or the dirt trips them. <laughs> this would be my little Timmy. <laughs> it was the first time we did this, and it was new to him to just sit quietly for five minutes. But believe it or not, he was enjoying himself. <laughs> Pretty much my favorite picture ever. So the sad, okay, so that is a short glimpse on physical, which is pretty obvious, right? If we move, if our bodies are moving, then what's going to happen? We're going to stay in shape. So the physical aspect, I think, of nature is usually pretty undisputable because those of us who spend time outside, well, we have elements, right? All of a sudden we're fighting the sun or we're cold, you know, compared to if we're just in our warm little classrooms, there is no re reason for our bodies to have to adjust the different temperatures. And so physical is pretty self-explanatory, so I didn't go into a lot in that. Uh, emotional well-being. Results of a sedentary lifestyle is simple. Kids get depressed. The need for medications is intensified by children's disconnection from nature. The rate at which American children are prescribed antidepressants almost doubled in five years. Children prescribed antidepressants? I don't think I knew what depressed meant when I was a little kid. I mean, I had the summertime blues when I thought I was bored, but depressed? Um, this is the steepest, and this is what's crazy, the steepest increase 
66% was among preschool children. Preschool children fighting depression? That's, that's pretty scary. So nature, the healing balm. There's over 100 studies that confirm that one of the main benefits of spending time in nature is stress reduction. Nature experiences can relieve some of the everyday pressures that may lead to childhood depression. And how many of you keep hearing, I know I have, you are completely living in a different world than I was raised in. So if I, at my age, am hearing that all the time, what are your children hearing all the time? That they're completely being raised in a different world than you were raised in. So you probably didn't have so many everyday pressures, right? Honestly, as, you're, as children, you had to maybe go hoe the garden or who knows what. But our children are fighting um, puberty is hitting a lot sooner. Girls are starting things a lot sooner. I mean, the dress, how we look, pressures are starting sooner. And you can go on and on and on what our children are having to face. I keep saying our children. I don't have children. <laughs> but I, I love all children, and I always make my students like my children. <laughs> Um, nature experiences can relieve some of the everyday pressures that may lead to childhood depression. Nature offers nurturing solitude. So, benefits of that vitamin N. We should start using that coin. Ask our children, did you get your vitamin C today? Did you get your vitamin N today? <laughs> Exposure to natural environments such as parks enhances the ability to cope with and recover from stress and recover from illness and injury. Established methods of nature-based therapy, including wilderness, thank you, and animal-assisted therapy, have success healing patients who previously had not responded to treatment of some emotional or physical ailments. Isn't that awesome? So all these tried and true methods of medicine or other therapy, but if we just simply got them maybe in a horse program involved in 4-H, involved in a garden, um, a lot of, I, of communities and towns are very interested in starting community gardens. Have you guys seen that? Cities are very open to starting community gardens, and I see so many benefits of that. Sorry, I have to plug, put another plug in here. Another big thing that I think we're missing in our world is the, is the generation gaps. We're doing everything separate. Everyone needs to be in my age group, my age group, my age group, my age group. One of my favorite things growing up as a kid was older people. Like literally, my younger brother and I would bike to our neighbors because we felt like we were like free kids because we could bike down the gravel road up to our neighbor's house who happened to go to our church. And then he had made paths in his woods and we would bike those paths to his mother's house. And she was probably 80 at the time. And we would just go over there and sit at her feet and let her tell her stories after stories after stories. And we loved it. We absolutely loved it. And how many cool stories do, do the more mature generation have? I mean, that's gonna, what's going to awaken that enthusiasm. I want to play like that. Did you hear that? Grandma so-and-so used to stack, I don't know, logs on top of each other and make an Indian fort. And they, I want to go try that. They're going to. We need to bridge that gap. We need to have. And honestly, our older people are so lonely in our churches. It's so sad. They're so lonely. And we, who have those younger children, could be helping to bridge that gap. And we could be encouragement to them. And not only that, but we would be making a, an investment in our child's future as well. It's not just helping that older one. It's helping the younger one as well. So let's go together to the community garden. Um, they can sit on a chair and watch our children dig in the dirt, and they would love it just the same, just spending time. 
Um, people have a more positive outlook on life and higher life satisfactory when in proximity to nature, particularly in urban areas. So that's another thing, you're giving that older person vitamin N by exposing them to spending time in nature. So um, there was a therapeutic invention that was tried. Uh, they, they surveyed 1,850 participants. This was a 2009 report by the University of Essex and the use of green exercise. And there are three broad health outcomes from this. Improved psychological well-being by enhancing mood and self-esteem while reducing feelings of anger, confusion, depression, and tension. Uh, also, it generated physical health benefits by reducing blood pressure and burning calories, and it also built social networks. Um, when I'm playing on my iPod or when I'm reading my book, can I be interacting with others? Can I be building any kind of relationships, or do I need you, or do you need me? But when I'm playing outside, all of a sudden, I can't hold this stick to build this teepee. Can you come help me? And we need each other. And I think we, we've forgotten how much we need each other. We're not islands. We need each other. Um, so how much nature is enough to make a difference in mental health? Uh, Jules Pretty and Joe Barton of the University of Essex and the journal Environmental Science and Technology suggest a proper minimum dosage of vitamin N. Anybody? I have it up there. Oh, no. Don't look. Anybody have a guess? Unless you already read it. <laughs> you already read it? Okay. For the first time in scientific literature, we have been able to show dose-response relationships for the positive effects of nature on human mental health. Mood and self-esteem improved after how long? Just five minutes. All right. How many of you love simple goals? I love simple, attainable goals, right? Because my, my life is full. Can you not put five minutes outside? Five-minute walk? Five minutes, I'm going to go have a sit spot. Ten minutes, you know, let's, let's up it. They say that same thing with prayer, starting to walk with God, right? Start with a five-minute goal. Well, you already know five minutes make a difference in nature. I can put five minutes into my day. I can put ten minutes, then fifteen. This is also interesting. Blue-green exercise is even better. The study found that a walk in a natural area adjacent to water provided people and offered the most improvement, which is just interesting. Random fact, so... I don't know if you if, if you putting your own little pond <laughs> and your backyard can count as blue green and you walk around. You know, let's get creative. I don't know. So please do not say that five minutes is enough. That's minimum. And do we ever want to do minimum? No. <laughs> also, this study uh, was done over 1,200 people of different ages, gender, and mental status. So all over the board, it was drawn from 10 existing studies. And it found that all ages and from all backgrounds benefited. But do you know where the greatest health changes occurred? What demographic do you think were the greatest health changes? Preschool? Yeah, the young and the mentally ill were the most drastic improvements. Time in nature is not leisure time. It's an essential investment in our children's and our own health. All right. Need of nature, creativity. Yep, these are my kiddos. <laughs> um, so I'll just put in a little idea for you. Um, I taught kindergarten first and second, and you have to teach the five senses, right? And how many times, and you have to even do this in Sabbath school too. I know you teach senses and talk about that because my mom is doing that. 
and you bring in the paper bags, right? And it's super fun. They have to reach in there with their hands, but you're really focusing the answers that you want from them. You're really limiting the answers because what's in that paper bag is probably, they might think a little bit outside your paper bag. You know, if you put an apple in there, they might think a banana, but they're not gonna really go that much outside the box, right? So what I did to teach the five senses is I made that body part. So I made a, a, a giant eye, and then I had just blank white pieces of paper, and I stapled it, and they had little books. And we went out with clipboards and a little bag of crayons. So I had a little mini clipboard, and whatever sense we were talking about that day. So it would be an eyeball, it would be a giant nose, that's why they're grabbing their noses. <laughs> um, it was an eye and nose, a hand, for touch, uh, it was an ear, and then a tongue. Tongue, you have to be a little careful. You don't really want them sticking everything in their mouth. So you're gonna have to watch that a little bit, but it's pretty awesome just to try bark, okay? I think it doesn't hurt to have a little dirt in your immune system, right? <laughs> Mrs. Olson, now you know it later. <laughs> Okay, very good. She's the only one in here that I taught. So. <laughs> All right, um, so that was just one simple idea of teaching the five senses in a different way. And all of a sudden, so they went out there, and um, for the listening one, I, I, I put them in what I call sit spots. Sit spots is something you'll learn a lot about this week. Um, it's creating a sit spot. So I put them in their sit spot, and um, they had blindfolds on and they just had to listen. And they had to sit there quietly. I'm talking about kindergarten through second. I'm talking about five-year-olds to eight-year-olds. And they sat quietly, not a sound, for five minutes. And they did it. <laughs> but I started with, I started, I started with uh, eyes first because that's the one we use the most and that's the one they, they like the most. So the first thing I did is the magnifying glasses that you keep seeing, they had sit spots with those and they had to sit and just draw everything they could see with their magnifying glasses. And that was Timmy's first experience <laughs> with the sit spot. So he got better as time went on, but he wasn't too excited just to sit still for five minutes. But they, they get it. We have to awaken that enthusiasm and children catch on, but they have to be trained because so far maybe they've been raised in an environment that hasn't taught that ability to, to sit and to observe and to ask questions. Um, so uh, back to the hearing one. So they had blindfolds on and they had to listen for five minutes and then they had to draw everything that they heard. And all of a sudden, things like grass are under the hearing one because they heard, well, Miss Boothby, I heard an ant crawling on the grass. But before, would they have ever drawn grass in their earbooks? No. So they're learning to think abstractly at a very young age when you're putting them out in nature. And this is, creativity is probably, this is like my, one of my most favorite sections. So how many have heard of John Muir? I can't say his name very good. Muir, thank you. My pronunciation is not so good. Um, so he describes reveling in the wonderful wilderness around his boyhood home in Wisconsin. Are we, any, are we very surprised that he turned out the way that he did? All right, another um, famous creator is Samuel Langhorne Clemens. Anybody know what he? Okay, so um, at a, he held down an adult job at age 14, but when his working day ended at three o'clock, he headed down to the river to swim or fish or navigate a borrowed boat. Do we have any question why he then therefore became Mark Twain? Eleanor Roosevelt, we know who that is, an incredible woman, said there was nothing that gave me greater joy than to get up 
get one of my young aunts to agree that she would go up, get up before dawn, that we would walk down through the woods to the river, row ourselves the five miles to the village in Tivoli to get the mail and row back before the family was at the breakfast table. Ben Franklin, I love this story. So he lived a block from Boston Harbor, so he lived near water. He was much in and about it, even though his older brother um, drowned in, in water. He still loved water. At age nine, he was flying a kite from the bank of Mill Pond, a holding area for water from high tide. It was warm, so he wanted to go for a swim. So he tied his kite to a log and he jumped in. But he's nine, so what is he thinking about? His kite and how he wishes he could be flying his kite. So he's there and he's pondering his dilemma. And I love the way this is said. He pondered his dilemma until it occurred to him that he might not need to forego one diversion for the other. He's problem solving. Nature is constantly forcing you to problem solve and use everything. Oh, this could work, or this could work, or this could work. And what are we missing these days in some people? Simple common sense. <laughs> Just simple common sense. Because we're not constantly having to problem solve. We get everything spoon fed. This answer, one plus one equals two. There is no outside the box thinking. So, um, climbing out of the pond, Ben untied the kite and returned to the cool water. As the buoyancy of the water diminished gravity's hold on his feet, he felt the kite tugging him forward. He surrendered to the wind's power, lying on his back and letting the kite pull him clear across the pond without the least fatigue and with the greatest pleasure imaginable. So he applied his scientist's minds to the lesson of the senses and used his direct experience with nature to solve a problem. Another really fun story is Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison was only four years old when this story happened. He was visiting his sister's farm, and he disappeared. He had wandered off. So his, his sister's husband went to go look for him, and he found him sitting in a box of straw. And they used to call him little Al, and they're like, little Al, what are you doing? And he said, well, I saw baby chickens come out of eggs the old hen was sitting on, so I thought I could make little gooses come out of the goose eggs if I sat on them. If the hens and geese can do it, why can't I? And so he took him back to his sister, and the sister noticed the egg stains on his pants and the very disappointed, sad face of the little owl. And this is what she said. And tell me if this doesn't sound familiar. It's all right, Al. If no one ever tried anything, even what some folks say is impossible, no one would ever learn anything. So you just keep on trying, and maybe someday you'll try something that will work. How many tries did it take him to make the light bulb? I don't know. I heard about 2,000. And when, when somebody came and asked him, and he said, uh, wow, you've tried 2,000 times. You haven't, learned, you haven't achieved anything. And he's like, yeah, huh? I've learned 2,000 ways that it doesn't work. <laughs> Okay, so, you know, a failure and messing up is actually a good thing. That's creating that problem solving. And I think it's awesome that his older sister said, just keep on trying, because maybe someday you'll try something that will work. Um, my kiddos would become inventors in, in my classroom, and it was awesome some of the crazy abstract inventions they would try to come up with. And... I don't think that they would have tried to come up with these things unless they had spent some time outdoors because just watching that iPad or that TV isn't going to think, teach them to think out of the box. In fact, if anything, it was very easy for me to quickly pick up on which of my students spent times outdoors and which of my students were never outdoors. Because what do you think in their inventions what it looked like? 
It looked like something off of cartoons or seen in TVs because they couldn't think on their own. But what's awesome, once again, is the fact that nature is restorative. So a little bit of time in my classroom, a little bit of time outdoors, and what were those drawings starting to look like? Out of the box, crazy inventions. Um, creative people who came of age in the 1970s, rock stars among them, seldom describe inspirational childhood experiences in nature. So it seems creativity can occur without natural influences, but it may have a very different tempo. Has creativity changed? Contemporary urban poets have moved away from Wordsworth and the Romantics, whose metaphors were shaped by sublime natural forces, whose rhythms were often set by the cycles of nature, because there's natural rhythms in nature, correct? The newer language of art emanates from the human-built environment, from the street, from computers. And how different has the music become? Not just the music, the things that are seen on TV, the things that we call creative, the things that we now call art. Just compare. It's incredible. And just simply because these awesome inventors and creators were spending time as children in nature, and look what they came up with, and now look at our generations who are not spending time in nature, what are they coming up with? And they're known as the awesome, great minds of today, right? This urban or electronic expression of creativity speaks to and for modern ears and eyes, and it has its own Rhythms and metaphors, is that not true? Very true, all right. The um, endless avenues of exploration. Natural spaces and materials stimulate children's limitless imaginations and serve as the medium of inventiveness and creativity. Observable in almost any group of children playing in a natural setting. All of a sudden you have Lewis and Clark, right? or you have Sacagawea. Nature, which excites all the senses, remains the richest source of loose parts. Nature is imperfectly perfect. Filled with loose parts and possibilities, with mud and dust, nettles and sky, transistent, hands-on moments, and skinned knees. Inspiring. Though, uh, through taking children outdoors, they are exposed to learning through various forms of inquiry. When our learning is linked to revisiting the living world outside our classrooms and brought back to the classroom for reconsideration, it empowers a cyclical and multi-sensory embodiment of the learning. Creativity is ignited. Taking the time to linger with our learning creates the spaces where learning possibilities present themselves, possibilities that might have gone unnoticed if we hurried past things. The work we engage in requires commitment. It takes us to care deeply enough that we want to spend time with it. And so our creativity is inspired. All right. So how many of you guys want your children to go out and get creative now? <laughs> I feel inspired. All right. The last need of nature is for our walk with the Lord. Our, our whole goal, right? So this is one of my favorites. Nature presents the young with something so much greater than they are. It offers an environment where they can easily contemplate infinity and eternity. Something more. We cannot care for God if we do not care for his creation. The extent that we separate our children from creation is the extent to which we separate them from the creator, from God. That is really powerful, isn't it? Um... You know, this master's, I was telling you that it really created a different worldview and perspective for me. 
I had never really been raised with the idea of go green. That wasn't something that was really on my radar. Like we, you know, we talked about recycling in school. We talked about caring for the environment, picking up trash, but it wasn't something that was a central focus. It was more like this world is not our home. We're just passing through because Jesus is coming soon. And I'm not saying that is the wrong perspective, but we're missing a component because what happens in Genesis 1 and 2? Creation, we are given dominion. We are given dominion. So it was totally eye-opening to me. He, my professor said we, especially at Seventh-day Adventist, should be the first in the movements of going green and taking care of the earth. We should be the first in being, saying we need to take care of this problem that we are destroying the habitats, not because we're trying to live forever here on this earth, but because God gave us a gift and those bugs and those Bugs then affect the animals, which affect the environment, which affect us, and everything is connected in nature. And so the fact that we're not making a, a point of taking care of our earth, the fact that we're the ones that are wasting, is, is really, are we ignoring the very first thing that God gave us? What I talk a lot about in my classroom is the fact that um, how many of you guys love to get gifts? We love to get gifts, all right? And when we get given a, get, we give somebody a gift, Actually, I love, how many like to give gifts more than get gifts, right? It's so exciting. I remember as a kid, I just couldn't wait for my mom to unwrap that laundry basket that I knew she wanted so bad. And <laughs> she was really thrilled. Okay, she really was. And um, it's so exciting, but you're sitting there. And then if people have a funny reaction, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's like the biggest letdown in the world, right? And so I often would tell my kids, I was like, guys, when God created the world, he thought of you. So I start having them think, what are things that you love in the world and, and creation? And they'll say, you know, they typically say animals, right? Like, oh, tigers or dolphins, or they, they typically say that. Um, and so then I start saying, well, what else do you love? And then they start saying, well, maybe waterfalls or lakes or ponds. And I'm like, well, do you realize that God literally thought of you? Thought of Timmy? Thought of Trey? Thought of Villazone? So I'm just going to go through my kiddos' names. They thought of of you. God thought of you when he created the world. He knew what you were going to love. So if he knew what we were going to love, why are we so careless with it? Why are we, why are we not taking care of our environment? It is true that we're just passing through, but God still gave this as a gift to us. And we need to be more active in our environment. One thing I recently heard was if your church shut down its doors, would your community notice? Would your community miss you if your doors were, if your church shut down its doors? And I, and I started thinking about that. I was like, wow, that's really, you know, interesting. And we have, a lot of us have um, outreach programs. But what if we were the ones that were, were the ones that had the go green? One thing that Goebbels Junior Academy started doing, you know that, how you can adopt a highway? They, when you drive right past Goebbels now, the, the Adventist school, it says, <coughs> and you can help me, Goebbels Junior Academy has adopted, how does it? I can't remember how it goes, but it's, it's something like, you know, you can adopt a highway and then it says whose name has adopted. So how many things is that covering? Well, now it's free advertisement for the school. Also, it's people aware, because you, you know, who doesn't read signs? You're bored, right? Everyone's reading signs as you're driving down the road. And so they see adopt the highway, Goebbels Junior Academy. Well, that's interesting. You know, let's make our communities miss us. Let's be the ones that have the recycle bins. There's this awesome program called Paper Gator. 
Um, paper gator, the thing is it has to, you have to have a lot of paper. I tried to start it at Holland, and Holland is a big church in a, in a fairly large community, and I wasn't filling my bin big enough and enough for them to let me keep my, my um, dumpster there. But if I would have been more proactive, how about door knocking now? So I go door knocking with my students, I bring glow tracks, I could bring you know, a treat, and I could bring a little piece of paper that talked about the paper gator and the fact that they could come and drop you know, paper off in my dumpster. So you know, I think if we, if we started taking care of our environment, that would be a whole nother way in for evangelism. And a completely different way, because I don't think they see sometimes um, us as Christian people caring about the world. It's usually those crazy left-wing people that we are like, oh, they're the crazy tree huggers, right? It's not usually associated with people who love God that love nature. We're, we're kind of scared to say that, like, oh, nature doesn't speak to us, God speaks to us. You know, we're, we're scared to use those sayings. But I think if we started getting into that train of thought, we could reach a whole new crowd of people and bring them in. Because there's a lot of people out there that care about our environment and are really worried about our environment and are really worried about how long we're going to be here. Well, that's when we get our in. Well, you're not here forever. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know, that's, that's another way that we can get in. So as you can see, this is outdoor education, right? Character development. It, it incorporates so many things. That's what's so exciting about it, because you can start thinking about this avenue and this avenue. The purpose of creation really is to bring us closer to the Creator. As a parent, you don't encourage children to experience nature because it's pretty, but because your children are exposed to something larger and longer standing than their immediate existence. So it starts with wonder and respect. If we never give our children the opportunity to wonder and get excited about it, will they respect and care? The, um, and that was something my professor also talked to me about, and he said that my relationship with God should start with wonder. Just being, and this was something that I used when I taught um, the outdoor ed program wow. this past year, is I talked about wonder moments. I wanted each student at the end of my outdoor ed to come up with a wonder moment. What was something that just made them pause and be like, whoa, that's cool. So today would have been for my little girls and I when we were watching that leaf just twirl. That was our wonder moment. Just taking time to be like, wow. And that wonder then can lead to respect. And I'll teach you about that flowing cycle, how we go through different stages to then go to a certain point. But it starts with enthusiasm. And how easy and fun is that to start with? Um, the benefits of engaging children in, in direct experiences with honeybees, butterflies, and ladybugs, all significant plant partners, are numerous. Children develop science process skills, positive science attitudes, and scientific knowledge. In addition, these experiences provide children with opportunities to appreciate and develop a sense of wonder and respect for the natural world. And that is something that we're also in a high risk in our society right now is because we're not socializing with each other. We're not having that communication with each other. We're not learning to care about each other. Because there's, I don't see that what I say and do affects you because it's just on a screen. So, um, for example, in relationships, you have to be really careful what texts you send, right? Because those texts, they don't have any idea in the way that you said it. They don't have any idea about the mannerisms. And I, don't, I wish I could pull up those facts. I don't know if anybody here knows what percentage your words say compared to what percentage your body language says. It's incredible. Um, the fact, the way you th say things almost communicates more than the say things you're actually saying. So if we're not actually talking to each other anymore, then we're not really learning to care about each other anymore. And I have found it true in my own life. I'm pretty anti-technology. 
I don't even own a, a computer. This is somebody else's. Not because I don't want to own a computer, but I don't own one. This is my phone. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty snazzy. I love it, and I will stay strong as long as they will allow me. I'm pretty sure someday it won't be allowed. But for now, I stay strong. Not because abstinence doesn't mean self necessarily mean self-control. Doesn't necessarily mean that I am great at staying away from technology, but I know that if I had a smartphone, then I'd be one of those people checking Facebook a little bit too often. Um, I would be... I don't really know what else to do on the internet. I know people spend hours YouTubing, but I don't know how to. <laughs> and um, I don't know what Twitter is or any of those things. But um, if I walked around with it, how quickly would I learn how to do it? Um, babies, they, they, can, they can work their way around iPhone. Because how do our children learn? Observation. So as much as we want our children to incorporate these things into their lives, where does it start? with us, with me, you know, um, something that I really found really disheartening as a teacher is when I would take, you know, kids on field trips or even in outdoor ed, um, different groups come up. How many adults do I see on their phones? Almost all of them. All of them. These are good people. These are good Seventh-day Adventist, strong, beautiful families. And I'm not, I'm not putting them down because I didn't, remember I said abstinence doesn't necessarily mean self-control. Right? This doesn't necessarily mean that I would be great if you handed me a smartphone. I've just said I'm going to do abstinence because I'm not strong, right? Okay? So I'm not trying to put anyone down, but that phone is addictive. I really wish that everybody would, would for a week, I don't know, I've heard of this, I think, but on your smartphone you can monitor how long you've spent on it. I think there's some app or something. I've heard something that you can figure out how, how much screen time you've actually spent that week. And if you guys could figure it out, I think you would be shocked about how long you're spending on it. Because I know most of my friends don't recognize it, how long they're on it. And um, I know that I'm not a stay-at-home mom, and so I don't know what it's like. But one thing I've learned is that there is loneliness in all stages of life. You know, here I am as a single person, and I feel lonely. Woe is me. I want to be in another stage, right? And then you get married, and all of a sudden you're lonely because all your girlfriends are like, well, now you're married. You don't have time for us, right? So there's that lonely stage. And then you're a stay-at-home mom, and I have found that some stay-at-home moms are some of the loneliest people in the world because they can't go out. I mean, I try to call some of my friends who have kids, and it's like, rah, 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 and there's kids screaming in the background. We can barely have like a three-minute conversation, right? And they want to. They long to. They're like, oh, please call me more. I just feel like I never get to talk to a, you know, an adult. So stay-at-home moms are very lonely. And then you start taking your kids to school, and what are you? You're lonely because you've been used to taking care of them all the time, right? Like all of a sudden you're like, what do I do? And then after that, then they go to college and you're like empty nest. Ah, now I'm lonely. And then your kids get married and you're lonely. And then you retire and you're, and you're lonely. Like loneliness can happen at every stage if we choose to focus on that. And I completely lost where I was going with this. <laughs> but my... Um, too much computer time, thank you. Lord, there must have been more point for that one. My, my point is that, um, oh, I know what my point is, um, that I'm not putting people down for spending time on their smartphones because it is a way for a lot of us to connect, to feel like we are connecting. And I'm not saying, I have Facebook, and I, I'm not saying that's bad, but I think we just need to be aware of how much we're using it, and we need to be aware of, of mothers and, and people, or all of us, all of us have kids watching us and realize that the more that we're on our phone, what are they going to want to do and copy? They're going to want to pick up their phones and copy us too. And so, you know, that text that seems so important to send, 
maybe you can wait during nap time, or maybe you could just call, or maybe that night do it. Just realize that what we do, people are watching, and especially our children are watching, and they will model. So how much I use it will probably be 10 times fold how much they'll use it, right? Um, so let's pause and think and find joy. Joy is found in lingering in the grassy fields, and at the same time, you will be caught up in a sense of wonder. I believe if we want children to take stake in their learning by encouraging them to ask the questions and seek out answers, then we need to create spaces for that inquiry to unfold. We need to give value to the time it takes to be in those places of wonder. In a time where our world is so fast-paced and product-oriented, we need to give value to the things that cause us to slow down and pause, to linger, and to reflect. So I used to do this thing with my kids where I asked them if they saw God, and I'll go into more of this later. But uh, one time we went on a sledding trip with our church family. Our church family had a huge snowy, snow outing, and we were sledding, and we were sledding. And uh, one of my first graders ran up to me, and she, he said, Miss Boothby, Miss Boothby, look, look at the moon. And, I, and the moon was green. He's like, look, God's talking to me. How awesome is that? How awesome is that? Don't we want our children to do that? And I have lots of stories like that where they're like, Miss Boothby, I saw God today. Or Miss Boothby, God cares. God did this for me, and I really liked it because I know that God cares about me. And they see nature every day. And I can't wait to share with you all these things. But when you're walking around, we all see trees, right? So if we can court it, you know, connect that back with God, then every time they see a tree, what are they going to think of? Every time they see a star, every time, do you realize how many things are out there that they see on a daily basis? And if we can connect that back to God, then what are we creating? A, a, a connection. The fact that we're supposed to do what? Pray without ceasing. Walk hand in hand with God all day, right? Um, another thing that I did in my classroom was I had a train. And my theme uh, was I did a spiritual theme every year. And I had this giant train that my neighbor had used to put on a lawnmower tractor. So it was this giant black 50-gallon drum thing that he put on the engine that he'd drive, and then this trailer that he'd put on the trailer. So it looked like a train in a, a, like a boxcar. And so my dad helped me put that in my classroom, and the train was an acronym, Try Reaching All in Need. And then the thing on the caboose was Choo Choo Choose Jesus. And in Holland, you can't hardly drive anywhere without crossing over train tracks. And so I used to be like, how many times do you cross the train tracks? Also, how many times do you hear trains go? So every time they heard a train, then they would, they would go, choo, choo, choose Jesus. And one time this really happened. We were on a field trip. We were at a playground. And there was this train. It was so loud. It was so awesome. And, and two of my students came running to the top of the slide. They said, Miss Boothby, at the top of their lungs. There's all these other children playing and, and parents. They said, Miss Boothby, choo, choo, choose Jesus. Praise the Lord. I mean, they just witnessed to everybody. And if we can connect them with trains, we can connect them with nature. And once they make that connection with nature, don't you think they're going to be able to make connections with things like trains and other things? It's the fact that literally, guys, God is everywhere and so wants to connect with us in a deep and meaningful way. But it starts with taking that time to pause and look and reflect and linger. But can I pause and reflect and look and linger in a fast-paced world where everything's always coming at me? I mean, how often does that computer screen change or that TV screen change? It changes constantly. 
And so is that ever teaching them to pause and to look and to linger? No, but nature does, and the nature can lead then to other things for them to, to force in a world that doesn't say stop, that they're going to want to stop, because it was just what they, the habits that they formed. So this is the aims of outdoor education. This is what I want you to think about in this week um, of things that is the point of outdoor education. Outdoor education spans three domains of self, others, and the natural world. It seeks to teach students how to learn to overcome adversity. Nature definitely creates that. Enhances personal and social development. Develops a deeper relationship with nature. Teaches outdoor survival skills. Improves problem-solving skills. And back to that teaching outdoor survival skills. What are we told at the end of times that we need to be? Self self-reliant, or um, what's that other phrase? Self-sufficient. Um, I had to take a class, actually, for my master's called, um, not, I want to say self-supporting, but that's not it, sustainable living. Sustainable living. We actually had to take a class called sustainable living. And isn't that exactly what we want to be as Adventists, is sustainable living? We want our, even our schools to be self-sustaining, correct? Um, so I think that's awesome. So teaches outdoor survival skills, improves problem-solving skills, enhances teamwork, develops leadership skills, understands the natural environments, and promotes, most importantly, spirituality. So this is what you want to think of when you're developing outdoor lesson plans or when you're just thinking about engaging your children in nature is that you want it to fall under one of these bullet points. And you'll find that it's pretty easy to put it under one of them. All right, I'm going to go that with you in one second. Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. You may not see immediate results, even though I do believe for some of you, you will see them when you start putting your kids in nature and you yourself. But this is up, was above Albert Einstein's door, and I just think that's pretty powerful. Not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. You know, when we start making changes in the environment, it's not going to seem like we're making it. I mean, there's still thousands of acres being cut in Brazil, right? But it can make a difference. A little bit, a couple pieces of papers at a time, putting that in the paper gator, you're creating a mindset, a mindset that I'm going to care for the environment, that I'm going to care for the precious gift that God gave me. The most important reason, though, to connect children with nature, upon all created things is seeing the impress of the deity. Nature testifies of God. The susceptible mind brought in contact with the miracle and mystery of the universe cannot but recognize the working of infinite power. And there's my kiddos. <laughs> Pretty cute. Uh, so just two ideas. We get out at 1045, right? Okay. So every day we'll have ideas. This is an idea that you could try with your kiddos. Um, this is called a recipe for a forest. Pretty simple. Uh, give each child an imaginary ownership deed to one square mile or kilometer of land. Tell them that on this version plot, they are free to create their own dream forest, complete with as many trees, animals, mountains, and rivers as they desire. Encourage them to let their imaginations run wild. To encourage creativity, you can give some suggestions. To make your forest beautiful and radiant, you might want to add waterfalls and windstorms or perpetual rainbows. Have them list the components of their forest and then draw a picture of it. End by discussing with them whether their forests are able to maintain themselves year after year. And this is where 
You're going to have to work with me this week. There is no way that I can give you ideas that is going to go over all the grades. But um, as teachers know, you can adapt and you can change um, the lesson plans. So just think, how could I make this fit a younger age child? How could I make this fit an older age child? Um, and you're just going to have to work with it. Some lesson plans you'll see will fit younger, some will fit middle, some will fit older. Uh, let's see, where was I? Um, for instance, see if they have included representatives of different atrophic levels in the food cycle, including plant eaters, plants, and decomposers, such as ants, mushrooms, bacteria, as well as subtle factors such as soil and climate. So as you can see, this is what's so cool about outdoor ed, a really simple assignment. It doesn't sound very complex, like really how educational can it be them coming up with their own force? But all of a sudden, you just created a whole avenue to start biology with them, right? So simple idea. Something a little bit more fun um, is called meet a tree. I like to do this one. Um, so what you could have them do is have them pair up and have them, one of them blindfold their partner. You take them into the woods. You want to go into an area that has quite a few trees. And that partner is going to lead their blindfolded partner carefully up to a tree and they have to figure out everything about that tree, you know, touch the bark, feel the bark, feel down the roots, try to figure out everything. Um, the blind partners then explore the trees to feel its uniqueness, guide them in this by telling them to touch the tree and rub their cheeks against the bark, ask if this branch is alive, can you put your arms around it, can you feel roots and branches, is the tree older than you are, can you find plants growing on it, animal signs, lichen. Then you have them lead their blind partner out after two or three minutes, then they take off the blindfolds and they have to go and find their tree. Now this tree, now this forest doesn't just become a bunch of trees. It becomes individual trees and you're very much looking for things. Now this is my favorite also part of outdoor ed. How easily can we relate that back to spiritual, our walk with the Lord? Now we're not just one big, big group of vast people. We're individuals with unique characteristics and things that we bring to the table that nobody else does. And how often do we just group everybody and all oh, they're like this, right? Um, so that is it for today. Um, I know that that seemed like a lot of information. Yes? On the meat and tree, reference parallels is that It was, I have, honestly, I don't know where I got that idea from. <laughs> Yeah. Well, sometimes I get it from other books, and that's the reference that they got it from. So, I, so it might be that might be from another book. But I have several books that I'm going to show you over time. So I'll do a couple a day. So I just started out with two today. Um, but I have several different books that I will be showing that you can get tons of ideas from. All right. Sorry, I didn't leave much of the time for questions. Does anyone else have a question? That probably seemed like fast forward a lot of information. <laughs> Anybody have any questions? Um, if there was a piece of paper going around, if you write your name and your email, um, I will email it to you. Can we just have prayer before you leave? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, I praise you so much for all the ways that you come up with to reach us. You are so creative and you are so interested in having a very individual relationship with us, Lord, and we praise you for that. Help us to take the time to look for you. Help us to take the time to pause and linger and reflect and just find the joy in being your child. 
Lord, we love our children and we love um, each other and we just want to reach others for you, so show us how. In your precious name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.